Welcome to the Central Baptist Church Podcast. Located in the heart of Victoria, BC, we are a church that seeks to renew our community through the gospel. For more information, visit centralbaptistchurch.ca. For this morning, we have six passages of scripture. And the first one will be out of Proverbs chapter 23, verses 17 to 18. It says this, Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord all the day. Surely there is a future and your hope will not be cut off. The next one, 1 Samuel 18, verses 8 to 9. And Saul was very angry, and this praise of David displeased him. And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next one, Proverbs 14, verse 30. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. Uh, Matthew 27, verse 18. For Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they had him delivered up. James 3, verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. And the last one, Romans 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? These are the words of the Lord. All right, well, let's come to the Word now. And uh, if you're just joining us today, this, uh, we are in the middle of a series in the book of Proverbs. And today, as has been mentioned already, we are going to be looking at the subject of envy. Now, envy in the book of Proverbs is a very important subject because it's not something that we can easily see in ourselves. Just ask yourself, can you give a clear, a crystal clear definition of envy? Can you do that? Can you quickly identify where you can see it in your life? I mean, probably not. Maybe some vague ideas about it or where it might be, but it's something that often remains hidden. But even worse, it is this hidden envy that Proverbs says is the cause of so many of our inner emotional struggles, our lack of joy, and it's also the cause of many of our relational problems in our workplaces, in our families, and even amongst our friendship circles. Envy is something that stays hidden. It lurks in the shadows. We don't often see it, but it is there, and it is often seeking our destruction. Of course, one of the most famous examples of this, especially of its destruction, is the great story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. As you know the story probably, uh, God rejects Cain's sacrifice, he accepts Abel's sacrifice, and Cain grows bitter with envy, and in his envy, murders his own brother. Then God confronts Cain, and God says to him that Cain, your sin is like a wild beast. It's like a wild beast that is crouching outside the doorway of your life. And if you give it opportunity, if you walk through those doors towards certain temptations, it will pounce and it will kill you. It will destroy you. And so God says to Cain, you should not be overcome by this wild beast of sin in your life. Rather, you must overcome it. That is what I want us to do this morning on this whole subject of envy. First of all, we're just going to have to be able to see what envy is because it's so hidden like a wild beast. It knows how to camouflage itself. But then we also got to just see how dangerous it is because it doesn't seem as dangerous as other things like anger that we know can totally wreck our lives. But then we also need to see how we can defeat it. So really, this message then is a call to do three things. See the beast, beware of the beast, and kill the beast. 
See the beast, beware of the beast, and kill the beast. So here's the very first thing we need to do this morning. We need to see the beast. So just like any wild animal, if it is hidden in some, some bush or something, you cannot see it. If you're not aware that it is there, that's when you're in twice as much trouble. You're not even aware of the danger that's going on. And this is how envy often works with us. It is a beast that knows how to camouflage itself in the, the, the dark corners of our hearts, but it's there, it's lurking, it's stalking. It's watching us. And so we, first of all, need to see the beast. In other words, we need to discover what envy actually is. So let's begin with Proverbs 23, 17, which says this, Let not your heart envy sinners. So just at first glance, you can see that envy is something that happens inside of us. It's not an outward action. That's why it's so hard to identify, because it's not like stealing. If I did a sermon on stealing, it'd be pretty obvious if you've been stealing. But not so. It's something that happens inside of us, within our hearts. Then you can see in the second place, it has to do with other people. He envies other sinners. And so there's something going on in the heart that is envying other people. So if you want to understand envy, you've got to begin at a most basic level. And I'll say this, that at a most basic level, envy is wanting someone else's life. Wanting someone else's life. Now, that actually is not exact enough of a definition, but it's a good place for us to begin just to get our heads wrapped around it. Envy begins when you compare yourself to who someone else is or what someone else has or who they are. So perhaps, you know, you compare your house to their house and you want their house. Uh, You compare your looks to their looks, and you wish you had their looks. You compare your career to their career. You wish you were in the place that they are at. Now, I want to be quickly say, not all comparison is bad. In fact, comparison is a very good thing on many levels. So if you're in your job, for instance, and there's someone else, maybe they're a step beyond you in in their career, and you watch them, you compare yourself to them, and you see that they're doing an excellent job at their work, and you begin to pick up tips as you learn because you want to also excel in your job. In other words, you want to imitate them. That's a great use of comparison. Obviously, nothing wrong with comparing to someone else's life in that sense. But the beast of envy creeps into our hearts when comparison becomes comparisonitis. Comparisonitis. What I mean by that is it becomes a disease within us, right? It's comparison that is becoming unhealthy in our lives. So you can tell that this beast of envy is creeping into your heart, that comparison has become comparisonitis when two things begin to happen within you. And really, they're two sides of the same coin. The first thing that you will see beginning to happen within you is you, you will experience negative emotional turmoil about the state of your own life. So you'll look at someone else compared to someone else's life, and, and you'll feel like, well, my body is just not good enough. Inner emotional turmoil. My friendships are not good enough. My romantic life is not good enough when I compare to someone else. So inner negative emotional turmoil, that's the first thing. Then flip the coin over. There's another side to this. That inner emotional turmoil then turns to negative feelings toward the person to whom you are comparing. That's the key. So envy is not just comparing to others. That's not what envy is. Envy is comparing to others in a way that makes you feel resentful toward them. 
resentful toward them. Author Jared Wilson gives a good definition. Envy is resentful desires for what someone else has or is. So again, it's an inward thing, resentful desires. That's the key. It's not just normal comparison. It's comparison in a way that you resent someone else because of what they have or what they are. This is why James 4.14 uses the language of, quote, bitter envy. So whenever you think of the word envy, you can put the word bitter in front of it. So you're comparing to other people in a way that is kind of competitive. You, you grow bitter towards someone else. In other words, you see someone else as your rival. Your rival. Maybe the best way to understand this is uh, a great example. Uh, it comes from a fictional movie about Mozart. Not a true story, but a fictional movie. Uh, it's an older movie called Amadeus. And in the movie, of course, the main character is Mozart, and another main character is a man named Antonio Soleri. And Soleri is also a great composer, but he is no Mozart. But he admires Mozart. But his admiration turns towards envy, and that envy begins to be a bitter desire against Mozart. He resents him for his greatness. There's a great scene in the movie where Solari is now an old man. He's sitting there with another man, and and he says, ah, let me play you a piece, see if you recognize this. He plays a little few bars on the piano, looks at the other man, and the other man says, I'm I'm sorry, I I don't know that piece. Let me play you another one. He plays him another piece, and the man's feeling quite embarrassed now, and he he just looks at him and says, I'm I'm sorry, I, I don't know that one either. And these pieces were Solari's pieces. He wrote them. And so he begins to get angry. And he says, I was the most famous composer in Europe. I wrote 40 operas alone. He then wants to play him another piece. He says, just let me do one more. And the man interrupts him and says, oh, yeah, I know that one. And he continues on singing it. But, of course, that's not Solari's work. That's Mozart. And Soleri sits back in his seat and he confesses that he's always idolized Mozart. In fact, he says Mozart's music is like hearing the voice of God himself. But then, in bitter envy, he says, Why would God use such an obscene child to be his instrument? That is bitter envy. Notice he's comparing to someone whom he admires. Somebody who's doing something great. But it's comparison, not in a good way, it's comparison that's become comparisonitis. It's comparing in a way that he's beginning to resent Mozart because Mozart is greater than he is. Mozart is more talented. And the great irony of envy is that Soleri can't even be happy about his own gifts, which are also great. He's losing all of his happiness. Envy is making him bitter. It's stripping him of his joy. And that's because that is exactly what envy does. Envy is never happy. Envy is never satisfied. Envy always wants more. And at its root, envy is really shaking one's fist at God and saying, it's not fair what you've given to me compared to that other person. So, That's what envy is. Now, 
I want us to be able to see the beast of envy in our own hearts. So let me give us some diagnostic questions that we can ask ourselves and pray that the Spirit of God will show us maybe where there's some hidden envy that we didn't maybe even realize was there. So let's begin at a most basic level. Here's the first question to ask yourself. Who do I compare myself to and why? Who do I compare myself to and why? Now remember, comparison is not necessarily a bad thing, but this is the place that we need to begin. So maybe you compare your, your family to your sister's family, your salary to your brother's salary. Maybe you're comparing your colleagues' abilities to your abilities, your looks to your best friend's looks. Where do you compare? Most often, we compare to people who are most like us or whom we value something in their lives. So I was talking with my wife, Heather, about this when I was preparing this message. And I was just talking about envy, and I said, you know, it's interesting. I said, I have never compared myself to and most certainly never felt envy whatsoever toward anyone who is an accountant. You know, an accountant who may be promoted to the top of their firm. I've never felt any envy at all towards somebody who does that. Why not? Well, I love accountants to do work for me, but I don't aspire to be an accountant. And so then I turned to Heather and I said, so when I, who do I compare to? I was looking at my own heart. Who do I find myself comparing to? Well, I compare myself to other pastors, teachers, writers, things like that. And then Heather started laughing and she's like, I don't compare myself to other pastors at all, as if that, that's just totally ridiculous. Ah, but who do you compare to? We all compare ourselves to certain people whom we either admire, who are doing something we value, whom we'd like to be like. So who is it that you would find yourself comparing to? It might not be envy, but that's a good place to start to discover where envy is in your heart, to see the beast. So then take that and move on to the second question. Do I feel threatened by people with similar looks abilities, families, or jobs? Do I feel threatened by them? You know, they're, they're moving up in the world, and do I feel some sort of threat by, by them moving into space that I like to occupy? Here's a great example. Think of King Saul in the Old Testament. King Saul has his right-hand man whose name is David. There could not have been a more loyal, a more successful right-hand man than David. David was utterly committed to King Saul. And in a particular incident, David went out and fought a battle on behalf of King Saul, totally won the battle. He comes back, and the people are praising David more than they praise Saul. And so we read this, that Saul felt threatened, and these words come up in 1 Samuel. And Saul was very angry, and this praise of David displeased him. And here's the key line. And Saul eyed David from that day on eyed him. He felt threatened by him because David was beginning to grow in stature and Saul, he was being praised more than David. So is there anyone in your life who maybe you feel a little threatened by? Maybe a person you are keeping your eye on. There you will see the beast of envy creeping in the shadows of your own heart. Those first two are helpful. These next two really will help you to see the beast. Number three, Is it difficult for me to celebrate the successes of those, the success of those I compare myself to? 
Is it difficult for me to celebrate the success of those I compare myself to? I think this is one of the clearest examples of of where you can see the beast of envy in your heart. So wherever that is in your life, someone in your life who you compare to, they are succeeding. They're doing better and better. Other people are recognizing them, and they are also celebrating. So that person is becoming happier and happier. But what's going on in your heart? Oh, I'm sure, outwardly, you're congratulating them too. Of course, that's what we do, right? You smile, you congratulate them, maybe even write something on their social media, hey, congratulations, really happy for you. But be really honest. What's going on deep inside of your heart? Do you feel a tinge of pain over their success? In other words, ask yourself this. As they are getting happier and happier, am I becoming unhappier? Oh, there you can see the beast. Someone else is doing better and you're becoming unhappy? Or this, as someone else is becoming more and more successful and receiving more and more praise, am I experiencing pain over their success and praise? If so, surely you've spotted the beast of envy within your heart. So you can see envy, see the beast of envy in your heart when others are succeeding, but deep within you, you do not celebrate it. In fact, you become unhappier and you feel pain over their success. But here's another really easy way to spot it. Take that same person, maybe that you're thinking of in your mind, as they're succeeding and succeeding, let's say, for instance, now they actually begin to fail. Their life starts to fall apart a little bit. Here's the next question to ask yourself. Do I experience schadenfreude? That's a great German word. It's a German word that means pleasure obtained from another's troubles. Pleasure obtained from another's troubles. So here's that person who is succeeding and succeeding, but then their life takes a turn for the worse. They're becoming more unhappy. Do you find in your own heart that when they become unhappy, You feel a tinge of happiness? Ah, that is the beast of envy. Or when they begin to fail, you feel a certain amount of pleasure over their pain? Oh, this can be so small. It can happen in so many areas of life. You know, you see someone you haven't seen for many years. And in your head, never out loud, suddenly you think to yourself, Boy, she sure isn't as beautiful as she used to be. Now, that might just be an observation. But if there's a tinge of pleasure about that, that's envy. Or you hear that he got fired from his job. And you think, oh, that's too bad he got fired from his job. But he always was a little high on himself. Just kind of those little comments. You're feeling a certain, that kind of just serves him right a little bit. There's a little bit of pleasure in someone else's pain. Schadenfreude, pleasure over another's pain. There is the beast of envy stalking in the back corners of your heart. One final question to ask. Am I nagged by constant feelings of discontentment? Discontentment. The heart of envy is discontentment with my life. 
I don't like my life so much. I want someone else's life. I see what they have. I want that. And so I'm discontented. I don't feel like it's fair what I get compared to what they get. And maybe even, God, why didn't you give me what that person gets? So where you see discontentment, you are likely to find envy stalking in the back corners of your heart. So let me ask you, can you see the beast now? Is the Holy Spirit maybe putting his finger on your heart and revealing to you, saying, yes, this is the person. Maybe in your mind's eye, you can see the person. The name is clear to you right now. The person whom you compare to, whom you feel some sort of resentful desires toward. Don't push that away. Let the Spirit bring that person to the forefront of your mind. It's painful to do. It's easy to justify. Don't do it. Because the Spirit of God wants to set you free to kill that beast. Because that beast is seeking your destruction. So once we see this beast of envy lurking in the shadows of our hearts, we need to do another thing before we talk about killing the beast. We need to also discover how dangerous it can be. So here's the second thing. After we've seen the beast, we also need to talk about how we need to beware of the beast. Beware of the beast. Because here's my point. This is the whole point with this one. It's very easy to see why you should beware of anger or of adultery. I mean, we talked about these the last few weeks. I really don't have to go on too long to tell you that if you let your anger go out of control, it's going to destroy your life. Pretty easy to do. We all get it. Not so with envy, though, because it's something within us. It's not really an outward thing like, like punching someone in the face or stealing. We, we get those. But we don't really see why something deep within us is going to destroy our lives. So we got to learn how to beware of it and see how dangerous it is. So let's consider a few things from Proverbs together. First of all, beware of envy because it hides itself. I've alluded to this already. Let's unpack this a little bit more. Author Joseph Epstein writes this. Most of us could still sleep decently if accused of anger or pride or lust or even greed. But to be accused of envy would be by far the worst. So clearly does such an accusation to be accused of envy, it goes directly to our character. The other sins do not so thoroughly or deeply demean, diminish, or disqualify a person. But you see, the stigma of envy is its enormous pettiness. Its enormous pettiness. Even as I prepared this message, I was thinking, you know, I often like to just make sure I'm with you. I'm never above you as people. I am a sinner saved by grace along with the rest of us. And I always want you to know that I'm putting myself under the word as much as I want you to be under the word. So I thought maybe I should tell a story here where maybe I felt some envy towards someone, another pastor or somebody like that. I thought about sharing a story and then I got to be honest with you, I decided that I wouldn't do it. I just can't do it. Do you know why? It's just too humiliating. I mean, if I, if I told you a story about how I've been impatient this past week, you would all say, ah, he's human like the rest of us. We understand. But if I told you a story of some, I don't know, some other pastor succeeding and me feeling a certain amount of unhappiness about that, you wouldn't think, oh, he's such a human like the rest of us. You'd think, he really is very petty. I mean, that, that's very small. It's enormously petty. So I just, I, just, I just can't do it. 
That's because envy hides itself. It's too humiliating to even admit. So even within our own hearts, we don't want to admit we're so petty that someone else is just a little above us and we can't celebrate someone else's success. Come on. I mean, of all the things we should do in this world is celebrate other people. And we, when we can't do that, we don't, we don't want to admit that. It shows how enormously petty we are. It shows our character is not as high as we thought it was. And so the first reason why we've got to beware of this beast is because we don't even want to admit it's there. We want to justify, let it have its corner. We don't want it to come out into the light. It's too humiliating. But there's another reason why it hides itself, or another way that it hides itself, I should say. Envy always makes itself appear as something that it is not. In other words, envy always hides behind a virtue. Do you know what virtue that might be? The virtue of justice. Justice. So maybe you look at someone else's life and you say, oh man, it's just not fair that they get that and I don't. I mean, I work at least as many hours, if not twice as hard. They make more money than I do and they got a $10,000 Christmas bonus. That sounds like a great concern for justice and fairness, but it's not. It's the enormous pettiness of envy. It's a bitter and resentful heart toward another whom God has given a position who gets paid a little more than you do. So we got to beware of this beast because it hides itself, hides behind justice, hides and we don't want to be humiliated by it. And so we really don't take it seriously, but we must beware of it because these next few things we're going to talk about when it actually shows itself. Here's the second reason to beware of it. Beware of envy because it will steal your joy. It'll steal your joy. Let's look at another proverb. Proverbs 14.30 says this, A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, to your body, right? But envy makes the bones rot. So this proverb is saying one of the great keys to your emotional and mental health is a life that's free of envy. This is why this is the wise path to walk. If you want to have good emotional and mental health, you do not want envy in your life. Why not? Because envy will steal your joy. It's in you. This is the problem. It's something inside of us. In in, in the language of this proverb, it will make your bones rot. And that's true, isn't it? Think about this. Many other sins, at least, at least, offer some pleasure in return for the pain that comes with them. I mean, adultery may very well, well, will blow up your life, but at least you get to taste the cheese before you hear the click of the trap as it springs. Envy is all trap and no cheese. Right? Because envy is just always negative. Envy is never happy. It's always discontented. It can never be accepting of the situation. It's always negative. It always focuses on what you don't have and what someone else does have. Put it this way, comparison is the death of joy. Comparison is the death of your joy. Envious comparison. Envy destroys our inner peace and so then fills us with all kinds of negative inner emotional problems. This makes me think of uh, Donna Friedis. She's a researcher with the Notre Dame Center for Study of Religion and Society. And she spent years studying the effects of social media in the lives of college students. And so the most common theme that she found 
was that people on their social media feeds always want to appear happy. And this is, this is how we use it. Some people post uh, all their kind of problems in life, but the vast majority of people, uh, college students would say, your social media account is basically the highlight reel of your life. So it's, it's the best hair, it's the best bodies, the best uh, vacations, the best experiences, the best achievements. It's the highlight reel of a person's life. And so we all know that this is what everyone's doing, but then this is what we see as we begin to scroll through other people's social media. And what do you think the result was that she discovered in all her years of research if people will spend all this time looking at everyone else's happiness, what do you think the result is? People became unhappier. Ironic, isn't it? But if you think about it, this is right here in the heart of envy. we we got to grasp this. This is a major, major thing in our generation. Nowadays, you and I have a far bigger window into the lives of everyone else than ever before in the history of the world. In the history of the world, you would only kind of know a few people's lives, and even then, you don't know everything. But now, with social media and everything that goes on, we know far more about what's going on in each other's lives. However, it's a heavily edited window. Not only that, we end up comparing the worst of our life, to the best of somebody else's life. And maybe even worse than that is the fact that we can't even enjoy the life we do have because we're thinking of someone else. So here's what you got to ask yourself. When you're looking through social media, do you ever find yourself becoming more and more discontented? That's time to get off. Because as your heart grows more and more discontented, you are providing an open door for the beast of envy to begin to lurk into your heart. When you're scrolling through social media, when you see other people celebrating or you see their achievements, are you truly celebrating? You say, yes, good for you. Or do you feel a tinge of pain about other people's celebrations and achievements? I'm not saying you shouldn't post fun pictures of your life. I'm not saying we should all get rid of social media. But I am saying, according to Proverbs, if we're going to be wise, we must beware. We must be very careful not to allow the beast of envy into our hearts through things like looking at all the celebrations and the achievements in other people's lives. So that's the second thing to be aware of. Beware of envy because it will steal your joy. Here's the last thing to say about being aware of it. Beware of envy because... It spawns all kinds of other sins. Here's the prime illustration of that. Think of the last 24 hours of Jesus' life. Think of all the sins that were committed. Of course, the greatest sin being the murder of Jesus, the sinless one, the Son of God, the murder of Jesus. It was a government-sponsored act of violence. That's, that is the biggest of the sins. But Jesus was physically assaulted by the soldiers. People told lies during that last 24 hours. They slandered, utterly destroyed Jesus' reputation. Not only that, there were acts of betrayal and greed by Judas. There was corruption amongst the religious leaders. But listen, there was one sin that spawned all the other sins, like a female spider spawns all kinds of little spiders. What was the one sin that spawned all of these other sins? Yeah, you guessed it. It was envy. Listen to what Pilate says in Matthew 27, 18. For Pilate knew that it was out of envy that they, being the religious leaders and the people, had delivered him up. It was envy about Jesus' success as a teacher, the things he was doing. The great irony here, of course, is Jesus was doing good. 
It was his good acts that they were comparing to and they resented him. They were bitter at him and it was out of envy that they delivered him up. Right here then, this is where we got to get right down into it. Here we see just the absolute horror of envy, the evil of envy, and the blackness of envy. Because envy is not attacking what is bad out in the world. I mean, you can feel anger at somebody else because they've truly done something wrong to you. But not with envy. Envy always attacks what is good. Abel was not killed because he was a bad person. Abel was killed because he was a good person. Jesus was not murdered and all these things happened to him because he did anything bad. It was out of envy, out of the goodness of Jesus. So right here we just see how wicked and how evil it actually is. These these religious leaders should have been celebrating Jesus, celebrating what God was doing through him. That's exactly what we should be doing as well. And yet we compare to others. We feel bitterness and resent towards them, and so we must tear them down. And that is why James 3.16 says these words. James 3.16 says, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Wow. I told you, it spawns all kinds of other sins. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every kind of evil practice. So listen, you may not murder someone because you have envy in your heart. Ah, but that bitter envy may lead you to murder their reputation. And you know the easy ways this happens, right? You know, say, Someone's talking about someone else. They're doing a really good job at their job, praising them for their success. And you, you jump in and you say, oh, oh yeah, she, she really is great at her job. But you know, she, have you ever noticed she's really not that good with people? I mean, the other day, uh, I was watching her with it. And you go on and you tell a story that tears down a reputation. It was bitter envy that motivated that story. That's where that came from. So I ask you, could it be that envy is actually the cause of some of your relationship problems, whether they be in your family, in your workplace, in your friendship circles? Could it be that envy is actually at the root of these things? As painful as it may be, I hope by now you are seeing not just what this envy is, but you're seeing just how dangerous it is and how just destructive it can be in our lives. And so if, like me, you're at this point in the sermon, you're just feeling repulsed by this whole thing, you're like, yeah, okay, I see how wicked it is now. If that's the place you're at, then you're ready for the final point. See the beast, beware of the beast, and now in the final place, kill the beast. Kill the beast. Let's look at Proverbs 23 again, 23.18. Here's the second half of the verse. We already saw the first half. Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. Of the Lord. So we kill the beast of envy by doing something positive, which is being zealous for the fear of the Lord. Now, if you weren't here for the first week, I suggest you go back and listen to the first message because I don't have time to develop this now. But the fear of the Lord does not mean you're, more, you're growing more and more scared of God. That's not what it means. It means that you're growing more and more of absolute awe of who he is, of all that he has done for us in Christ. You see his great holiness. You see his grace, the way he's given Christ for us. You're growing more in awe of who he is. And that awe 
is controlling more and more parts of your life. Your heart is melted by what he has done for you, and it's affecting every single area of your life. So to be zealous for the fear of the Lord says, I want the greatness of who God is and what he has done for me to take over every part of my life and shift every way that I go about doing things. So how do you do that? What does that look like for killing envy? Let me give you a bunch of very practical tips. It begins with this. First of all, just repent and seek the mercy of God. When you see envy in your heart, that's where you've got to begin. Just humbling yourself, realizing, oh God, I have sinned. I didn't see this beast before, but now I see it. And I repent and ask your forgiveness. Second, fill your life with thanksgiving. Fill your life with thanksgiving. Remember, it's discontentment that is the soil from which envy grows, up, that envy grows out of. Whatever you're discontented, that's where envy comes in. Envy focuses on what we don't have and is upset about it, and it, doesn't, it fails to recognize what God has given us. So a heart filled with thanksgiving is the very opposite, isn't it? Because when you're giving thanks, if you just are filled with thankfulness, are you feeling upset and angry inside? No. If you're filled with thanksgiving, you are happy. As the proverb said, you're, it, it gives tranquility inside of you and it gives life to your body. There's, there's even a rush of endorphins. You feel good. So giving thanks kills envy. How so? It kills it because you're focusing on all the good things that God has given you in your life. Oh yeah, he may not have given you everything that you want at this moment. Other person might have something that you did desire, but he has given you much. So when you fill your life and you're saying, thank you, God, for this and for this, it begins to kill the envy because you're focusing on what God has given you, not what he hasn't given you. So you can do this in all kinds of ways. But, I mean, this is why when we teach kids how to pray, we do the acts acrostic. We begin in prayer by adoring God. We confess our sins. And then the T in the acts acrostic is thanksgiving. Fill every prayer with a time of thanksgiving. When you're commuting home, just take five minutes and just think of all the things you're thankful for in life. Fill your heart with thanksgiving. It will kill the beast of envy, and you'll experience the tranquil heart that Proverbs talks about. Third, pray for the person you are envious of. See, we don't like to admit it, but what have you done? When you're envious of someone, what have you done? You've made them your rival. And here's the word you don't like to say. You never want to admit it, but you've made them your enemy. You're bitter against them like Soleri was with Mozart. You're bitter against them because they have something that you want. and You don't think even that they deserve it, but you do. So what does Jesus say to do with your enemies? Pray for them. So just do this. Like, this is what I ever do in my heart. Father, I just pray for this person that you would bless them like 10 times over. I pray for their finances. You bless their finances. I pray that you give them greater success. Cause them to far surpass me. Lord, great, make them great. Bless them in everywhere. Bless their family. Bless their kids. Just start praying for that person. You'll discover the longer you pray for someone. You can't, you can't be bitter against somebody that you're praying for. So keep praying for them, and you'll begin to kill the beast of envy in your heart. Fourth, Focus on the unique role God has given you in life. Remember, envy is always focusing on what you don't have and what you wish you could be or something. Rather, focus on the unique role God has given you. 
There was a gardener who was walking through his garden, and he heard the sound of someone crying, and he didn't know what this was, and so he followed uh, the sound, and he discovered that it was coming from a rose bush. And he said, why are you crying, Mr. Rose? And the rose said, well, I'm just so upset. I feel like my whole body's just covered in thorns. I feel like I'm in a suit of armor. People can't even touch me, or they have to kind of recoil because they can hurt themselves. It's just not fair. I wish I was more like the tulip then my life would be so much better. So the gardener thought he would walk over to the tulip and have the discussion with him, but as he walked over, he he could hear the tulip was also upset. So he asked the tulip, what's wrong with you? And the tulip also was just quite upset and angry inside. The tulip was saying, well, I I don't know. I've just been looking over at the apple tree over there, and, and I just wish I was an apple tree. I mean, my stem is so tender. It can break so easy, but the apple tree, such a solid trunk, and, and besides that, everyone praises the apple tree all the time as they take a, an apple off and they eat of the fruit and they praise it. I don't get that kind of praise. I'm weak and I disappear quickly. It's just not fair. I wish I was an apple tree. Yeah, the gardener did not what was going on in the garden this day. And so he decided to go talk to the apple tree about it. But when he came up to the apple tree, as you would probably guess, he could see the apple tree was also very distraught. And the apple tree said to him, look, I have been living my whole entire life beside this giant oak tree. And everyone likes to come and have a picnic underneath the oak tree. The oak tree is going to live a whole lot longer than I'm going to live. People are always sitting under him, always speaking about how majestic he is. It's just not fair. I would give up all my apples to just have one day to be the oak tree. So the gardener thought, I better go talk to the oak tree. He's been here the longest. I can find out what's really happening in this garden of mine. And he walked up to the oak tree, and he could hear a low growl of disgust coming from the oak tree. And so he began to speak to the oak tree, and the oak tree said, Look, I've been standing here a very long time. I've outlived all the flowers, lived out all the trees, But people just want to climb on me and carve things in my bark. I'm getting really tired of it. And when I look across the garden and I see the rose, I think I've never seen anything so beautiful as a bright red rose. It's just not fair. I wish I was a rose. The parable of the rose sounds an awful lot like 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, that God has made all of us with unique gifts and abilities that he's given to us in the church, that the thumb should never say to the eye, I don't need you, that every part of the body needs one another, that everyone has been given a specific role, everyone has gifts. Here's the big thing, though, God never gives one person everything. And that's why we all got to play our part in society and within the church, And so what we need to do is to stop comparing to others and all their greatness because comparison is the death of joy. What we need to do is focus and say, God, what have you given to me? And how can I use my gifts for your glory and for the good of other people? And focus in on that instead of spending our time comparing, being discontented, and being filled with bitter envy, which then leads right in to the next practical thing I can say very quickly to serve others. So you take what you have and you say, God, I just want to serve other people. I may not have the gifts of that other person, but I do have this and I can do this. And so, Lord, I want to serve other people. And if you have a heart of service, 
then you never worry about having to be exalted somehow because a servant is always putting yourself beneath others, always saying, I want to uphold others. So in your workplace, you're saying, how can I use my gifts to elevate other people? Not try to make me the greatest. How can I make other people great? How can I help people, serve people? Always lifting other people up even above myself. Even seeing them succeed far beyond me. That is the way of Jesus who lifted us up above himself in order that we might be saved. Serve others. And then finally, rejoice in the future God will give his people. Rejoice in the future because listen, Envy is always discontented with the present. It's always wishing you had a better future. But envy has no hope that that future will ever come, right? Compared to someone else, I want what they have. Who knows if you're going to get it or not? It's a waste of time. Look how Proverbs 23 ends. It begins by saying, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but always be zealous for the fear of the Lord. There is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. At the root of envy is a lack of trust that God is really looking out for you. That God really has your best interests at heart and will give you the great future that your heart desires. Ah, but friends, let's let the gospel come into our hearts and renew us again today. Let's focus our our gospel thoughts on Romans 8.32, which says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. God did this for us. How will he not also along with him, graciously give us, how many things? A few things? All things. Look at the logic. What's the logic of this? It's saying, if God the Father would have done this hardest of all things, which was to give up his own son, to not spare him so that we could have eternal life, if God has done that most difficult thing, oh, then you can be sure that his love will give you all the things that you need and more. He'll give it to you. That's the logic. He's done the most hard thing. Surely he can give you all the smaller things. You say, well, but he hasn't given me lots of things that I would like. Oh, maybe not yet. But what that verse is saying to you is, he'll give you everything that you need in this life. And if you don't get it in this life, you'll most certainly get it in the next. Those true good desires that you have that are not yet fulfilled, all of them will be fulfilled in the next life. What is it that you want? Would you want a better body? Is that what you'd like? Christ has won for you a better body. When he returns, he will give us resurrection bodies that are immortal, powerful, that can never die. He's going to give you that body maybe that you've always desired. What, do you want more friends? Do you want to belong? Is that something that you wish you could have more of in this life? In this life, we are to find places to belong. The church is to be a place of belonging, but even where the church never fulfills all that it's meant to be, oh, when Christ returns, he will bring us into his eternal kingdom, and we will have belonging, a sense of acceptance, to be loved by others in a way that we've never known in this life, and that will satisfy us forever. What is it that you're wanting and when you're comparing to other people? Is it they have greater vacations than you, a nicer house, greater salary? What is it that you want? Is, is it those material things that you want? Oh, then rejoice because you got a future better than that. 
Oh, yes, you do. Ephesians 1 says that he has every single blessing secured for you already in the heavenly realms. What's coming to you is far greater than any of the things you can even imagine. What he's going to bring to you is a new heavens and a new earth, an eternal life in this place where all of your desires will be met. Oh, let's not dream so small. You want to compare? Let's compare a little larger. And then realize that God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And since he has done that, he will most certainly, graciously give us all things. Listen, through Jesus Christ, we have absolute hope of a better future. So when you're feeling discontented, you say, God, give me the grace right now to deal with whatever state you've given me in life. You haven't given me all things. I know some of this is to teach me lessons, uh, but I rejoice in the future that you most surely will give me. That's how you kill the beast, is rejoicing in the great hope that we have in Christ. So be patient in the present, but know that there is surely a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. See the beast. Beware of the beast and kill the beast. Let's pray. Oh, Father, forgive us where our bitter envy has ever caused problems in our relationships. Oh, Father, we, we repent of this because we even see the emotional turmoil it causes us, the way it eats us up inside, the way it makes us discontented all the time, lacking in thankfulness. Forgive us, Father, when we should be thanking you, we should be celebrating with others when you're granting them success. Forgive us, Father, when we're self-centered. Forgive us when we've allowed this beast of envy to be in our hearts. Father, I pray for each one here that your spirit would point out specific people, specific situations where envy has found its way into hearts. And you would enable each one to kill this beast. You would enable us as a people to be a thankful people, thankful for the gifts we have been given, thankful for the jobs, thankful for the places in life, thankful for the relationships we do have. Oh, Father, enable us to be a thankful people. For you have truly blessed us with so many things. So we give you thanks and we look forward to that day when you will make all things right, when you will give us all the things that even our hearts desire. We praise you and we look forward to that day. Sustain us in that hope, we pray this day. In Christ's name, amen. If you were encouraged by today's message, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and gatherings, visit us at centralbaptistchurch.ca. Thanks for listening to the Central Baptist Church Podcast.